Ladies and gentlemen, it is on like Donkey Kong. We spend an hour monkeying around as we celebrate the 40th birthday of Donkey Kong this week. And my, oh my, has it given so much to the world. I have so much to share with you. So grab those bananas to snack on, sit down, relax, and join us for today's trip down memory card lane. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. I hope these words find you well. Hello and welcome to the 48th episode of our Video Game Nostalgia podcast, A Trip Down Memory Card Lane. Each week we take a look back at the current week in gaming history. We pick one title released during this week and we talk about it. While doing so, we hope to teach you something new about the game, what it took from the world as its inspiration, or what it gave back to the world as its legacy. For today's game, that legacy is the part that you will definitely know as we celebrate the 40th birthday of Donkey Kong, released for Arcade Stateside in July of 1981. I'm David Casson, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, who spends most of our recordings just monkeying around. My brother, Rob Casson. Rob, are you going bananas over there? Oh, with all these jokes, I sure am, Dave. I <laughs> sure am. Well, look, Donkey Kong has no shortage of jokes. I mean, dude, it's on like Donkey Kong. On like Donkey Kong? Do you kind of have to slur the phrase together when you say it? On like Donkey Kong? That wasn't bad. Whatever you say, Dave. Whatever <laughs> you say. <laughs> How are you, man? I'm doing well. How about yourself? I'm doing good. What's new on the game front? Any new news to share with our listeners? New games? New stuff? Come on, give us something. Not new. Uh, this week has been a lot of Rocket League. Very small amount of Tarkov, but a vast resurgence in Satisfactory. Yeah, I noticed you playing that the other day while I was, you know, researching for today's episode. <clears throat> it was fun. Yeah, I'm sure. We got a lot to talk about. That we do. So what about yourself? Uh, Ghost of Tsushima. I'm still trying to play through that. I played, um, I took some time to play some VR. Uh, Humble had, the Humble store had a VR sale. I picked up some VR titles. Uh, I picked up one called After the Fall, which is like a, a roguelite where like you have to hold up the sword to block shots and, and like attack people and you know, then with roguelites, every time you defeat a level, you can pick a stat to increase, and that's kind of the way it is. Uh, I played a really fun game called I Expect You to Die, which is like a spy thriller. That's like a puzzle where if you do the wrong thing in the, you know, scenario you're in, you die, and it's hilarious. Uh, what else did I play? Oh, Up to the Top, a climbing game, which is a lot of fun. So I've just been dabbling in VR aside from Ghost of Tsushima. And uh, in all honesty, I had a little bit more extra time this week, and, and I was able to get us caught up a little bit here on the podcast 
So we now have a calendar on the website that shows what we're talking about from now to the end of the year. So that's exciting. Ooh. I know, I know. And I was able to get all that stuff done. All of our uh all of our social media posts are queued up from now till then. I got all of our web pages laid out, like all all the stuff. You know, I kind of do it half a year and uh June was kind of busy. So I didn't really get a chance to catch up, so I've just kind of been keeping up with it. Well, I had a, a, a day to myself to where I was able to get, you know, half a year done. So everything is kind of laid out for us. So it should uh, should make things a little easier from now till then. So that's nice. But uh, yeah, it was a pretty productive week. Pretty productive week playing VR and otherwise. With that being said, we are not here. We're not here to monkey around, Rob. Uh, I think we are, Dave. I think we are. Yeah, it's very true. Well, today we actually get to monkey around because we're talking Donkey Kong. So let's talk Donkey Kong. You know Donkey Kong? Nope, never heard of him. Okay, you know of Donkey Kong. Have you ever played the original Donkey Kong? I have not played it. Have I? I don't believe I've ever played it on a true cabinet, although I have played emulations of it on other consoles. So we're really not going to talk about him today, but as a series, are you a Donkey Kong Country fan? I have played the first and second, although I haven't any if there were any after that, I haven't. It's not that I dislike them. I just never really went out of my way to get them. And I'm sure if I had them now, I would love to play them because I did love playing one and two. It's just I never bought any of the other ones. So are we talking like SNES one or two? Or are we talking like the later iterations, like for the Wii and now for the Switch? Uh, I believe, well, definitely SNES, but I thought one was for the, no, actually we didn't have a 64. So it had to have been just SNES and SNES. Well, there was a Donkey Kong 64, so. Um, Maybe, but I don't think we, ha- we didn't have a 64. No, we did not. So no, it was just NES and SNES. But you've never played any of the modern ones? Not a one. Hmm. All right. Well, you know, we're going back to the beginning today, and our story, the story of Donkey Kong, starts way back in 1977 when, through a mutual friend, Shigeru Miyamoto's father, and yes, that Shigeru Miyamoto, pretty much the face of Nintendo and Mario and Zelda, and we've talked about him time and time again. Have we? We have. We have. He's the oldest kid on the face of the earth. So, yeah, yeah, I'm getting there. I'm getting there. So Shigeru Miyamoto's father arranged an interview with then Nintendo president Hiroshi Yamauchi. So prior to the 1970s, Nintendo was just a small Japanese company that sold playing cards and other novelties. But as Nintendo progressed through the 60s and the 70s, it began to branch out into toys and games. So Miyamoto was there to share some of his toy creations with Yamauchi, which earned him a job as an apprentice in Nintendo's planning department. One of, one of Miyamoto's early jobs was helping to create the art on a video game and arcade cabinet called Sheriff. So Sheriff was a 1979 multi-directional shooter game made by Nintendo. It was one of, in the 70s, there was a a trend of Western-themed video games that were produced by various companies, and this was one of many. In Sheriff, the player controls a 
a county sheriff, what else? Tasked with defending a town against bandits in order to rescue a captured woman. So, Sheriff is kind of significant because this game concept of a damsel in distress, this is the first time that we know of that Nintendo used the damsel of distress theme. And let's be honest, it's pretty much the theme. It's like Nintendo's go-to. Almost all of their series are damsel in distress. Uh, Zelda, Mario. I mean, those are the big ones for starters, right? And of course, the one we're talking about today. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Seems like a pattern. Yeah, well, so Sheriff was the first one. Shortly after working on Sheriff, though, Miyamoto was tasked with helping create the art of another project, a 1980 shoot 'em up arcade game called Radar Scope. Radar Scope was, by all measures, an absolute failure. It was a basic game. It was designed uh, with gameplay that was similar to Space Invaders and Galaxian, but instead of that top-down like 2D perspective, it was viewed from a three-dimensional third-person perspective. Miyamoto's role in Radar Scope is really often debated. There are some that claim he designed the on-seed graphics. Other claim that he just designed the cabinet marquee. Later on, Miyamoto has said that he didn't really like the game. Um, whatever the truth of the matter is, it doesn't change the fact that Radar Scope was a complete failure that almost bankrupted Nintendo of America. Okay? Wow. So, I, I, tell me about it. So Nintendo of America was founded in 1980 as the North American subsidiary of the Japanese company Nintendo, right? Nintendo president, as we just talked about, Hiroshi Yamauchi, appointed his son-in-law, Minoru Arakawa, as president, who in turn hired his own wife, Yamauchi's daughter, Yoko Yamauchi, as his first employee. They set up offices in Manhattan. They hired some young gamers to receive and service game hardware that they imported from Japan into a warehouse in New Jersey. And they partnered with a Seattle-based arcade sales and distribution company called Far East Video. <clears throat> so based on some favorable feedback from test arcade sites that they and Far East Video had set up in Seattle, Arakawa had wagered most of Nintendo of America's finances on a huge order of 3,000 radar scope cabinets. However, they're said to have only sold about a thousand of them, which left Nintendo of America with little money and 2,000 radar scope cabinets sitting in a U.S. warehouse. <clears throat> Arakawa pleaded with his father in law, you know, President Yamauchi to send them a conversion kit of a new game to turn the radar scope cabinets into something useful. So back in Japan, Yamauchi looked throughout his entire staff in Nintendo for a fresh game design concept to save Nintendo of America. This would lead to Shigeru Miyamoto's debut as lead game designer. It was his first shot at it. Uh, he would, he, he, in a, in a bout of self-depreciating humor, Miyamoto would later say that no one else was available to do the job. Whether or not that was true, here's history. You know, Miyamoto is now one of the most prolific faces in video game design, and his first shot at it was a way to save Nintendo of America by converting 2,000 radar scope cabinets that were sitting in a warehouse. And so here we have Miyamoto, 
who along with uh, engineer Gunpei Yokoi, who we've talked about, he's the creator of Game Boy, uh, they're basically tasked with saving Nintendo of America. Now, separately from this, Nintendo was also pursuing a license to make a game based on the Popeye comic strip. Rob, are you, are you familiar with the Popeye TV show? Like Popeye the Sailor Man? Yeah, like Popeye the Sailor Man. Absolutely. Like Popeye the Sailor Man. Yes. I mean, it's kind of old timey. I'm kind of surprised. How, like, have you seen the cartoon? <laughs> yes. The, and, and, that's the Three Stooges. No, no, I, I just can't do his, his laugh or his thing very well. But he also <laughs> is spinning. Yeah, there you it's, go. Just... <laughs> I'm just lazy about it. That's all. <laughs> and then you got the spinach with his big muscles. And he's saving the damsel in distress. That's very, that's exactly right. So, which is a good segue because Nintendo's attempt to get the license failed. And Nintendo made it known that they wanted one of their game designers to create new characters that could be marketed and used in later games. You see, Pac Man was the thing, and Nintendo really needed something like a Pac Man to create a foothold in the video game industry. They were, they were looking for their Pac-Man. They were looking for their mascot. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so in the middle of these two concepts of trying to come up with a fresh game concept and making something that's similar to a, um, uh, a Pluto license, Miyamoto came... Miyamoto, he basically tossed around a bunch of things, right? But he eventually settled on the same concept. It was a love triangle... And in his mind, what he conceived was a triangle between a gorilla, a carpenter, and a girlfriend that, like you said, mirrored the rivalry between uh, Bluto and Popeye fighting over olive oil, which is what you were talking about. Okay? Yep. In Miyamoto's version, Bluto became an ape, which is a character in his mind that wasn't evil nor repulsive. And this ape would have been the pet of the main character, who to Miyamoto was a funny, hang-loose kind of guy. It's also important to note that Miyamoto later on would also name Beauty and the Beast, as well as the film King Kong's other influences. But truthfully, here we have Popeye comic strip, which was kind of all merged together and eventually would, you know, merge and, and, and evolve into basically Donkey Kong. One other really important distinction for Donkey Kong is that this is the first time that we know of in, in video game history, realistically, that the storyline for a video game preceded the game's programming. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, nowadays they come up with a story and they design a game around it. Um, but that wasn't the way they did it back then. Really, the only other game at the time that had a storyline like this was Pac-Man because we've talked about, we did an episode on Pac-Man. We talked about how Pac-Man had the cutscenes in between and it was one of the earliest titles to have cutscenes. Uh, and in a lot of ways, Donkey Kong here kind of uh, took up the mantle. So, so Miyamoto had a story, but he needed a name. And Miyamoto decided that he was going to name the game for the ape because at the time, he felt that the ape was the strongest character. And since he was looking to replace all those cabinets in the you know North American warehouse, thus targeting a North American audience, he mandated that the name be given an English title. 
Now, the story of how Miyamoto came up with Donkey Kong really varies. Um, there's a false urban myth out there that says the name was originally meant to be Mon Monkey Kong, but was misspelled or misinterpreted due to a blurred fax uh, that came through. Not true. Uh, there's another more credible story out there that claims that Miyamoto looked in a Japanese-English dictionary for something that would mean stubborn gorilla, or that donkey was meant to convey silly or stubborn, and that Kong was a common Japanese slang for gorilla. Uh, there's also a rival claim that he worked with a Nintendo's export manager to come up with the title, and that donkey was meant to represent stupid or goofy. Uh, in 2001, Miyamoto, in an interview, stated that he thought the name would convey the thought of a stupid ape. So whichever part of these you you believe, it, 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 and it, he came up with Donkey Kong. That's, Did that's you the not name. just say that he said? Well, uh, there's a lot of Miyamoto said stories out there uh, that we still really don't know. I mean, technically, they're all true if you think about it, right? Uh, if it says one where he looked at a Japanese English dictionary for one that said stubborn go gorilla and that the other rival claim where it says donkey was meant to represent stupid and, and goofy, then in 2001 when he thought that it was stupid ape kind of fits all of them, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah so, I guess that's fair. Donkey Kong, as we know it, is the second platform game ever created. Okay. But it's okay. the first platform game to ever include jumping. The first platform game, in case you're curious, was a game that came out in 1980 called Space Panic, which, which, involved, which involved climbing ladders between walkable platforms. In fact, when Space Panic and Donkey Kong originally came out, these games were called climbing games, as in you climb ladders, and it was only later on that the platform game concept, um, that the concept of the t and the concept and term of platform game was used. Donkey Kong also had the distinction at the time of, of being pretty much the most complex arcade game at the moment. So going into this, Miyamoto had very high hopes for his project. Uh, so for instance, he wanted to make the characters different sizes. He wanted them to have different movements and reactions. Um, and, and as we know, these, these are things they were able to achieve. Now, I want you to think about that for a second. This game was special because it had different characters of different sizes that had different movements and reactions. These are things that we take for granted today because that's like, duh. But when Donkey Kong came out, it was pretty revolutionary. Uh, I read some I, in my research, you know, when they were doing the programming, Mario and all the things that all the enemies were like one sprite. And then uh, I think Polly, Pauline, because she was higher up, was two sprites. But then Donkey Kong took up six sprites. And this this concept of of varying like that was really unique. And in fact, they wanted to fit this entire game on like a 20 uh, kilobyte ROM chip, you know, as part of the conversion kit. And they took up the entirety of the memory trying to do all of the stuff they wanted to do. Um, but with that being said, there was stuff that they just they couldn't do. Um, they weren't. 
they weren't programmers, you know, they, 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 they depended on a team of four programmers. And so, you know, sometimes there's just things that can't be done with the technology of the time, right? One such thing was that Miyamoto wanted to see seesaws catapult the hero across the screen, but the programmers couldn't figure out how to make that work. And so Miyamoto instead thought of the concept of using the sloped platforms, barrels, and ladders that we see today. Which is Donkey Kong, right? Jumping up the... I mean, when you think of Donkey Kong, what do you picture in your mind, like the screen? I picture the... like <clears throat> Your uh, scaffolding that you're yep. crawling up. Yep, and you yep. have like ramps that go up and down and ladders in between them. And... There's a donk or wow. There's, there's donkey. There's Kong. donkey Kong at the top throwing yep. barrels down at you. Yep, those bright red girders, sloped with ladders and barrels and the hammers and yeah, I mean it's a it's a it, it's a well known, you know, screen at this point. As part of the programming process, Miyamoto also insisted that the game would have multiple stages, and so. This was actually a point of contention in the programming process because the programming team that were assigned to help complained that he was essentially asking them to implement the game repeatedly because the the concept of multiple stages was not... It, it just wasn't well known. You know, Donkey Kong was created with four unique stages. Based on timelines that we know of the time, Donkey Kong is actually one of the earliest arcade games with multiple stages. It's predated by two or three titles. There was a 1980 game called Phoenix that had varying uh, unique stages. There was a 1981 game named Gorf and another, I think, called Scrabble that, uh, that had varying stages. So Donkey Kong isn't the first, but it's definitely like fourth or fifth on the list of games that have varying stages, you know? So um, I guess I, I think about it programmers probably didn't have a lot of imagination because it wasn't something that they were doing. You know what I mean? Right. And so we're here, right? The game is created. It gets sent over to the Nintendo of America for testing. And the first person to try it over on the American side, the sales manager at the Nintendo of America warehouse, disliked it. He said it was too different from all the maze and shooter games that were popular at the time because this is Space Invader and centipede and uh i you know i don't there was that was just the genre right maze and shooters with that being said though nintendo of america was in a bind and arakawa had to believe that this was going to work and he did you know he believed that donkey kong was going to be a hit so lawyers were brought in to secure the donkey kong trade trademark and American staff began to translate the storyline for the cabinet art and the characters. <clears throat> Originally, in Japanese, the lady was named Lady. She would become Pauline, uh, renamed after Polly James, who was the wife of the warehouse manager, Don James. Now, I don't know if you caught this, but Jumpman, the, the character in this game, was a carpenter. Did you catch that one? Isn't that fascinating? It is. Yeah. So the Carpenter was originally going to be Jumpman, and this was a name that was basically a mishmash of Walkman and Pac-Man because they wanted people to associate 
the game with those those brands. Those were the notable brands at the time. However, it was suggested that the character's name be changed to Mario in likeness of Mario Sagale, who was the landlord of the original office space that belonged to Nintendo of America. So we've got Pauline, we've got Mario, and we've got Donkey Kong. So we're set. The character names, they're all printed on the American cabinet, printed on the promotional materials, and Donkey Kong is ready to be released to the world. Rob, did you know that Donkey Kong is considered to be the earliest video game with a storyline that visually unfolds on the screen? I was not aware of that. That's one of the things that's most fascinating about this, you know? So, Donkey Kong is the villain. You know, he kidnaps Pauline and he carries her to the top of every stage. And then the player takes control of Mario to rescue her, you know? And even though... Like, Sheriff was pretty much the first use of the damsel in distress trope for Nintendo. This is, let's be honest, this is the game that really, like, cemented it in for Nintendo and for everybody. Just, I mean, this was it, you know? Um. <clears throat> so let's talk about the plot. Let's talk about that storyline, right? Because it is the earliest video game of the storyline that unfolds as part of the game. For those of you that have never played Donkey Kong, the game opens with Donkey Kong climbing a pair of ladders to the type of construction site. I believe the theme of Dragnet plays in the background. Dragnet was a TV series uh, from the 70s, in case you don't know. He drops Pauline and he stomps his feet, and this warps all the steel beams into the sloped beams that you play the game on. So game starts out with straight levels, Donkey Kong jumps, the beams fall, they create the slopes, and now we have the stage that we're all intimately familiar with. Donkey Kong then moves to his final perch, and he sneers at the player. A melody plays, and a level starts, and this brief animation sets the scene, and it sets a backdrop for why the stage is the way it is, which was also a first for video games. So, Mario goes through the stage when he gets to the top, Donkey Kong grabs Pauline, and he climbs higher to the next stage and the next stage and the next stage there are four of them until we get to the top mario beats donkey kong and he's reunited with pauline so pretty pretty straightforward right but it in real time we get to see the whole process first time we've ever seen that um have you ever really played far enough to see the whole story rob <laughs> i'm not very good at it so probably not yeah, me either. I don't know if I've ever finished the whole cycle either, to be totally honest with you. So I'm not going to fault you for that in any way, shape, or form. So. so in order to rescue Pauline, Mario has to jump gaps, obstacles, and approaching enemies while climbing to reach her, hence the platform genre. While doing so, the player can earn points by leaping over obstacles, destroying objects with a hammer power-up, uh, collecting various items that appear. There's hats, there's parasols. And then in the later stage, the one in which you defeat Donkey Kong, in order to defeat him, there are five rivets uh, that you have to remove, which causes the platform to fall. And then, you know, you defeat Donkey Kong and um, go. So, so let's talk about those stages, right? So stage one, the one we're all really intimately familiar with, the iconic stage for Donkey Kong, it involves Mario scaling a construction site made of crooked girders and ladders, while jumping over barrels and oil drums tossed by Donkey Kong. 
So you beat that, you get to stage two. Stage two involves climbing a five-story structure of conveyor belts that are transporting cement pans. Stage three involves the player riding elevators while avoiding bouncing springs. And then stage four, the last stage, as I just said, requires Mario to remove rivets from platforms supporting Donkey Kong, which causes Donkey Kong to fall and the hero to be reunited with Pauline. These four stages together combine to form one level. After you get through one level, the game resets, and the stages repeat with increased difficulty. Um, the fourth level... Basically, like most games, I, I guess the point I want to make, you know, I can't, as I'm blanking out, like, do you remember how Pac-Man has a kill screen? Do you remember what uh, a, kill, a kill screen is in an arcade game? Like, was that your death screen, or was it just a, a random point in the game where it would automatically kill you? Yeah, in Pac-Man, when you hit, I think, the 256 uh, stage, because of the way memory overflower worked with the bytes, you'd get the kill screen where you couldn't progress any further. Do you remember that concept? Yeah, yeah, okay. I forgot that it was called that, but yes, I do. That's all right. So Donkey Kong has a kill screen, too. And it occurs at the 22nd level. So four stages, 27 levels. Um, what do we have? 88 some levels. Uh, at the 22nd level, we have a kill screen. It's basically a programming error that kills Mario after a few seconds, which effectively ends the game. So Donkey Kong can be played up to the 22nd level. Um, originally, the concept was that each level was going to be five meters. And then you could get to the final stage with 125 meters. And there are some versions of the game that that's the case. But essentially, we have a kill screen at level 22. Um, but yeah, each level, you know, the barrels get faster. The fireballs speed up. Uh, I don't know. Since you and I have never really played through even one level, I don't think either of us knew that it got worse since we can't beat it the first time. Yeah, I can't <laughs> imagine. Oh, man. Ugh. Brother. I don't know. But yeah, that's um, that's pretty much Donkey Kong. Uh, that's how we, it's made. That's what it is. Um, Donkey Kong, right? Right. 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 So this is about the part in each episode where I usually find reviews for us to talk about the video games. But as we always stumble across, uh, you know, when we talk about video games from the arcade era, it's really hard to find our reviews for games that are released during this period because we didn't have the Internet and things weren't really recorded down. So as normal. I think as a judge to see how Donkey Kong, how, how much people like Donkey Kong, let's talk about its commercial success because as we know or as we can assume donkey kong was an absolutely smashing success for nintendo people went bananas for it <laughs> it was a barrel of fun <laughs> oh Oh, all right. So let's hammer out the details. <laughs> oh, brother. Okay. All right. I'm probably the only person laughing at this point, so I'm going to move on. 
So Donkey Kong was released in July, and it quickly sold out of its initial 2,000 cabinets. By October, Nintendo was selling 4,000 units a month. In fact, the re- the, by all estimates and reports, one year in, by July of 1982, Nintendo had sold an estimated 60,000 Donkey Kong cabinets. 60,000. Wow. Right. So let's talk about what that did for Nintendo. Um, the distribution company that Nintendo partner with, Far East Video. Let's go back to them for a second. Far East Video was really just one husband-wife duo who had made handshakes with a bunch of arcades in the Seattle area and otherwise. And they were really just two salespeople who worked on sales commission. So as you can imagine, they quickly became millionaires because they were the only distribution company, you know, that Nintendo partnered with. So there's that. Millionaires. Pretty cool. And let's talk about Nintendo. So Nintendo of America became incredibly, incredibly profitable. Arakawa used Donkey Kong's profits initially to buy up 27 acres of land in Richmond, Washington, which is now the Nintendo Richmond campus. Uh, in Japan, for instance, Donkey Kong was the highest grossing arcade cabinet of 1981. It was the sixth highest grossing in 1982, so it held spots near the top for a good you know, year and a half, two years. On the state side, it was the top grossing game by October of 1981, and it held the top spot through all of 1982. It wasn't just an arcade cabinet, though. It's been ported over to other systems at the time. Initially, there was a bidding war on who was going to get a port it, and your biggest players were Taito and ColecoVision. Uh, Rob, we know ColecoVision, right? Yeah. We've kind of talked a little bit about ColecoVision. Right. ColecoVision ended up winning the bidding war, and they included it with all their ColecoVision consoles. Um, so needless to say, alongside that, it helped ColecoVision. It was a, a, an absolute success. It's been on Atari, both good and bad. There was a really good port for, I think, the 5200, but a really bad port for the 2600. It's been on the Nintendo Entertainment System. It has its own Game & Watch system. It's been on the Game Boy. Like you said, it's been emulated 10 times over. So Donkey Kong has pretty much been absolutely everywhere. All in all, by 2015, all of the home versions of Donkey Kong are estimated to have brought Nintendo an estimated $4.4 billion in revenue. Wow. I know, right? Well, let's be honest. Donkey Kong is an incredibly recognizable figure. He's, He's... He's not the Mario and the Se- the Sonics and the Pac-Mans of the world, but he's no slouch either. I, I think he's no slouch. Um, Nintendo, well, what do you think? Where do you think Nintendo fall, like Donkey Kong falls in, in recognizability or whatever you want to say? It's probably not even a word. Where do you think for, for, for mascot value, where do you think Donkey Kong falls? I mean, <clears throat> I played a lot of Smash, so I'm very familiar just because he's a Smash character. So it's, I guess if he played Smash, he's just as high as Mario. And if you're not really, 
like you know Sonic, but if you're not into the Sonic games, you wouldn't know like Knuckles or Shadow or <clears throat> characters like that. So it's higher ranked than those. Yeah, I agree. I mean, you've got Smash, and he. I mean, aside from the fact that he still has a game series, you also have the Mario Kart. I mean, Don. He he may not be like the go-to in Mario Kart, but he's a he's a he's a character. And and look, let's think about it. So let's go to Mario Kart for instance, right? One of Mario Kart's most most notable features is throwing banana peels. And who best to throw a banana peel than Donkey Kong himself? True. So so yeah. But Donkey Kong isn't the only recognizable recognizable character to come out of this game is he i mean yeah no. pauline she's so famous <laughs> yeah i know i know no no it's obviously the girders it's the girders the girders have been in every game that mario's made since then you can't possibly think of a nintendo game without girders i wonder how true that is actually girders are in smash girders are in mario I know there's girders in there's probably probably a, a Mario Kart track with girders. There's definitely Metroid uh, girders. What else you think? You, are there are there are there girders in Zelda games? I can't. Uh, I don't know. I mean, you might you be right. Ridges, but you might be right in that girders have become a major Nintendo character. I'm definitely going to have to do some investigative, uh, an investigative report of series on the success of girders in Nintendo video games. I think that'd be fun. Uh, I'm going to write that down for a future episode. All right. But no, right. So let's talk for a moment about legacy. Cause if anything, Donkey Kong has, one of the richest legacies out of out of any of the earliest video games because arguably the most recognizable face in video game like the video game mascot is Mario and this was the first game that Mario was featured in right right i mean he he that's it it's the first game Mario was featured in i mean of course he would later go on to be the Mario brothers and of course, Super Mario Brothers is the game that, you know, with the Nintendo that, you know, came back, revived the industry. But this is this is where he came from. This is the first game. So if anything, we have Donkey Kong to, you know, Donkey Kong gave us the Mario of the world. So I would also argue that the success of Donkey Kong probably contributed to to saving the entire video game industry. We really haven't talked about it yet, or maybe I have. I don't think I have. But in 1983, the video game industry crashed. Or uh, later on in the year, I believe it's in December. It's towards the end of the year. We had we're going to be doing an episode on ET, the extraterrestrial, and ET was one of the titles known as one of the worst video games of all time, and also one of the titles that is directly noted as being one of the causes for the video game industry to crash. And if you know video game history. It was the Nintendo Entertainment System that helped, you know, and thus Nintendo, that helped revive the industry, bring it out of the crash. I would argue that it was, you know, because Donkey Kong was so successful, Nintendo had a ton of money at its disposal that helped fund the development of the NES, which in turn 
basically helped revive a dying video game industry. So I think I think in a lot of ways that we need to give credit. I think the legacy of Donkey Kong goes so much further than just Mario. I, 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 but they kind of I guess they kind of go hand in hand, right? Right. I don't know if there would be a Nintendo NES without Mario. Does that make sense? No, absolutely it does. I mean, you can have multiple notable figures, but there's still going to be one that leads. Well, I just I I it's hard to imagine a world where they didn't cut co- they they did come together. You know what I mean? And if there wasn't a if there wasn't a game like that that define like if there wasn't that game, there wouldn't be an NES. There 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 always had to be the game that people would were going to buy the system for. You know what I mean? Absolutely. I mean, it seems just because of the variety of games now, it's a little different because like Nintendo could totally just get people who only want Pokemon or only want Animal Crossing or only want Mario games or so on and so forth. Um, That's just Nintendo. I mean, with, you know, Xbox, PlayStation, you could argue the same thing. Well, we also don't. We don't. The industry is not the same. Like we don't. They don't even include games with the systems anymore. You know what I mean? Like, back in the day, I would argue before the PlayStation era, you bought systems to buy the game that came with it. You know, it was Mario for the Nintendo and 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 Super Mario World for the SNES and Mario 64 for the for the Nintendo 64. You know, and and Sega had. Sega had Sonic and uh, the 3DO had its fighting games. And there's just all, all these all these examples of, of the games that came out alongside the system were why you bought the system. But about the PlayStation era, that really stopped. And that's definitely not the case anymore. In fact, I mean, we just had a generation of video game systems released where I, they didn't even really have any new games. They They entirely, for the most part, relied i mean the playstation 5 did it have release titles didn't it really didn't it rely almost both of them xbox 2 they relied almost immediate uh, almost completely on last gen titles that could be quote unquote upgraded to next gen graphics there 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 aren't there just aren't system defining games anymore in my opinion which is a good thing i think i mean I, I will say maybe not system defining games, but I do have to argue that people absolutely still buy consoles for the game that's on them. I mean, for example, I just yeah. got a new Xbox last year that came with Fa- Jedi Fallen Order. I mean, yeah, they're still coming out like that. And I, I definitely know that there was Switch editions that came with games. I'm sure like the Zelda edition would come with Zelda or the Pokemon edition came with Pokemon. Well, yeah, but I'm more or less... I agree with that, but that's more or less a, a collector's version for the game. And I'm talking about a game that, like, you buy the system. I, I don't know. I guess I just don't think of collector's editions in the same way. You know, but like the original Xbox, we bought that for Halo. You know what I mean? Like, that was. And now Halo comes out on everything. Like, that, I, honestly, this is a good argument. This is a really good argument because nowadays, you know, the the concept of cross-platform is much more of a concept than it was before. And so gamers get to enjoy playing games with one another, no matter what platform they're on, you know, with some exceptions. But I I just don't think that um, 
I just don't think exclusive exclusive titles are as important as they used to be or as common as they used to be. Although PlayStation definitely has the market on some like, you know, Horizon Zero Dawn, the Spider-Man series and so on and so forth. But then again, Xbox has the halos of the world. You know what I mean? Absolutely. So while we're talking about the legacy of Donkey Kong, we can't really ignore its cultural influence. Uh, it's been referred to in various movies. It's been featured on TV shows like The Simpsons, you know. Um, it's been in various music rappers, like I think uh, DJ Jazzy Jeff has a title with Donkey Kong referred to. Um, and of course, we have the phrase, it's on like Donkey Kong. You know, that, that, that for a while was a, a thing people said. It's still a thing. It, it's a thing people say, isn't it? Sure cool so needless to say donkey kong is important it was a lot of firsts for the industry you know it it popularized platform gaming it was the first time we had a story we wanted to tell and designed a video game around the story was the first time that video games you know the story unfolded through the use of cutscenes and the and gameplay itself it was one of the most complex games of the time it cemented the damsel in distress trope uh and it gave us donkey kong and most importantly mario and then like i said i really think that we maybe wouldn't have the nintendo and the richness of the current video game industry if nintendo hadn't had the money they earned because donkey kong was so successful so i i I feel that Donkey Kong historically is an incredibly important game for all of us, regardless of how you feel about Donkey Kong himself. So, yeah. And I think that's about all I have to say about Donkey Kong. Anything that you'd like to add or would like clarification on that I maybe glossed over really quickly? Uh, all I have is that if you've never played the original game, find a copy and play it. Because it's uh, even though I might be terrible at it, I still think it's fun. So give it a yeah. try. Yeah, retro games like this don't really require an investment. You can like pick it up, play it for 10 minutes, go, I can't stand old games and put it back down. But I still think it's kind of fun and important to uh, to do it. But um, yeah, yeah. Rob, I want to make one other point. This kind of leads into our table side or gaming topic of the week, whatever we want to call it. Okay. So this week we're talking about Donkey Kong, right? Right. Which is the title of the game. Right. But Donkey Kong is the villain of the game. Mm, right. Right. Which is not a common naming convention. Hmm. So I wanted I wanted to talk about that for a moment. First of all, off the top of your head, what are some other games you know of that are named after the villain? Mm. Well, first up, Diablo. Damn, I wasn't sure if you that was the first one on my head, too. That's a really good one, though, isn't it? Uh, Yeah, no, absolutely. It is Diablo. What's another one? Five Nights at Freddy's. <laughs> I, I didn't even think about that one. I was thinking Nintendo. What about Metroid? Uh, that was the next one on my list. I can't think the of... The main character's name is Samus. 
The main character's name is Samus. Metroid are the aliens. Are the aliens? Mother, mother, um, mother is the you know which call it. So, um, what else though? I mean, I don't know, uh, like game directly. Like itself, the name other than that, I think that there's more of like titles that have them within them. Like Paper Mario Origami King, because the Origami King is the villain in the game. Yep. So, but it's, you know, Paper Mario and Origami King. So it's kind of like this one and the other, or like. <clears throat> I ain't gonna lie, Diablo and and Metroid. Metroid is only a kinda because the the creatures are Metroid. You know the 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 you know you have Ridley and Mother and stuff that are actually the the bad guys. Um, I mean, it's easy when you start talking about games. I think it's easier when you start talking about games that aren't necessarily named after the protagonist. Like the other big one is The Legend of Zelda. Because the game, oh Majora's Mask. The, the, I mean, the, the games. Or, the, well, yeah. no, I mean the games are your link. You know what I mean? Oh, like, well, yeah, yeah, I get what you're saying. But everyone, far, yeah, everyone makes that mistake when it's the stories about the princess, but you're not playing as the princess. You're playing as Link. You know. So if we get into the conversation where we want to talk about games that don't aren't named after the protagonist, then it's really easy. But specifically, when we start talking about games that um games that are named after the the antagonist the bad guy specifically i think that that gets a lot harder frankly um and diablo and, and metroid were really the only ones i could come up with five night at freddy's is a decent one but even that is the, isn't that the name of the restaurant which i guess i guess you could argue that the restaurant is the antagonist the the characters are just it's the the building itself that's alive, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um <clears throat> Yeah, I mean like you said there's other ones probably like wasn't Arkham Knight the name of a villain in Batman Arkham Knight like isn't that not him? That's a good one. I don't think so. I mean and, and look, I, I don't I, I I don't know if I would count ones like uh, I don't know, uh, Bowser and Luigi series, the Nintendo, uh, Nintendo spinoff. Um, I don't, honestly, I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I can't really think of others, you know? It's not like they named Portal GLaDOS. Um, <laughs> Shadow of the Colossus, technically the Colossuses are all, um, the Colossuses are all the enemies, so, kinda. Um, I mean, Doom is aptly named, but I, 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 I don't know. I don't know. And I was thinking about that because I think it's a really interesting gaming convention, and it's rare. That's what's got me the most. Like, I'm sitting here, and I'm sure there's going to be someone out there screaming into their radio or headset or however else they listen to us that's going to tell us that we're so wrong. Um, you know, but, like... And, I, and again, I mean, I don't even know if I would count the WarioWare series. Um, 
I, I don't know. I can't really think of others that are specifically named after the bad guy. And that's just such a, 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 a fun concept. Um, it's just, a, that's all. It's just a really fun concept that, that just was, I was beating my head up against while I was doing this. So Castlevania is not named Dracula, <laughs> you know? True. Yeah. Uh, Mortal Kombat's not named Shao Kahn. Um, I, I, I don't know. Silent Hill's not Pyramid Head. <laughs> it's like, what is it then, man? Um, I don't know the answer to that. I don't know if there's others. Uh, but with that being said, if there are others that we're missing, I know the perfect place that you can remind me of how stupid I am and how wrong I am. And that would be on our Discord. If you're curious about how to get to our Discord, you can do so by going to our website at www.memorycardlane.com. Also on memorycardlane.com, you can find show notes for the episodes, all my research. You can find archives of previous episodes. You can find a calendar of upcoming uh, upcoming games we're talking about. In case you'd like to submit, there's a button to submit. If you'd like to submit your own reviews or stories about said games, we will feature them on the air. Uh, there is, as I said, a way to come and visit, join our Discord. And there is a way to give us support through Patreon. For only $2 a month, you can support this podcast. I post episodes and such on our on our uh, Patreon. That's about it. I just post episodes. Um, and yeah, you can do so at our website. There's a support tab. Or you can visit patreon.com slash tripdownmemorycardlane. Lastly, on our website, on Memory Card Lane, which is all about nostalgic memory cards on a lane, you can visit our, our find links to our social media tags. I am on Twitter at David is wrong. David underscore is underscore wrong. There is also, in case you didn't know, there is a Twitter for this podcast uh, where every week I post when the episodes are made available online. So if you're on Twitter and you would like Twitter reminders, that's uh, just search for us, a trip down memory card lane, or search for me, David is wrong. And uh, you can find me on Twitter. Uh, Rob, what do you got going on on social media these days? I can be found on twitch.tv forward slash F-A-T-B-O-I-R-I-P-Z. Boy rips! Well, what? Uh, if you come join us on our Discord, you can find us playing Rocket League and join us sometime because we always, we always enjoy playing Rocket League. And we don't take it too seriously. Trust me, we're... we're we're only kind of serious about Rocket League, I guess. I don't know. Right, you like, are. Yeah, I mean, it's a game. We're supposed to have fun. I, I, I was talking to someone the other day about Rocket League, and he's like, I'm a silver player. You guys would never play with me. No, that's not true. I'd play with you. It's yeah, a game. <laughs> some of my best friends are just getting into the game and are at silver, and I yeah. play with them quite often. Yeah, Sometimes listen. I show, I give them the smackdown, show them what's up, but you know, for the most part, I try and let them have fun. It's just a game. We're just here to have fun. We like video games. We like talking about video games. Let's not take it too seriously, man. So, right, All right. All right. Well, Rob, with that being said, we are finding ourselves near the end of the episode. 
As always, we are here to teach you something new about the game, what it took from the world in its inspiration, and what it gave back to it in its legacy. Those are three things that we absolutely touched upon today. You know, both how the game was made, where it, where, you know, where it was inspired, what inspired it, and what it gave back. We talked about its legacy. So amongst those things, Mr. Robert, what did you learn today? Well, I think that the most interesting things that I learned today were that Mario was a carpenter and that the girlfriend's name is Pauline. I didn't know either of those things. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Well, you know, I, 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 I don't know how we got from carpenter to plumber, because as we all know, Mario's a plumber nowadays, which is really sad because I kind of knew everything else around this because I once did a, uh, I once made like a YouTube video talking about how Mario got his name um, that I don't, excuse me, that I don't even know where it exists nowadays. But, um, anyway, uh, yeah, so Mario was a carpenter. So, me, what did I learn? I was unaware of how many firsts Donkey Kong was, you know? Um, I didn't know it was the first game to, the storyline came first. I, I, I really never thought about the fact that it was the first game that the storyline unfolded visually on the screen. You know, I didn't know how close it was to uh, I didn't know how close it was to the first platforming game. I didn't know about Sheriff and the damsel and distress trope. I there was a lot of things I learned for today. This was a, a really fun episode to do research on. This was a, a really fun episode and, and concept to share with everyone listening. I hope that you guys all enjoyed it, too, because, uh, yeah, like I said, I just I had a lot of fun with this one. This one was great. So, yeah, that's my takeaway. I hope you enjoyed it. Rob, what's uh, what else do you have for today? Um, as always, I just want to take a moment to say thank you to everyone for listening. It's a lot of fun. It's a lot more fun when you engage with us, but we're going to do it either way because we enjoy it still. So hopefully you do, too. And if so, let us know. That's right. And this is episode 48. You know what that means. Um, we've done 47 before this and we're almost at 52, which is what? Uh, 10 more than the answer. Yeah, exactly. 10 more than the answer. 52. No, we're like less than a month from our one year anniversary. Oh, so we've almost been doing this every week, every week, Rob. We've been doing this every week for almost a year. Wow. Look at us go. When's the last when's the last time we've been this consistent about anything? Ugh. Ugh. Yeah, sure. Ugh. All right, well, I'm gonna take it out. You got anything else you want to add? Uh nope, I'm good. I said my spiel. Uh back to you. Woo, spiel. All right, ladies and gents, gals, gamers, and galants. I don't even know what I'm trying to do there. Uh next week. We're going to be focusing on the 18th, the 18th best-selling NES game of all time. Rob, it's the 18th best-selling SNES game of all time. And that is that's something special, you know what I mean? Yeah, only 17 in front of it. I know. So this title's 
noted as an inspiration for many modern games, uh, such as WarioWare series. It's uh, an influence to the Super Mario Maker series. It's an influence to the Earthbound games. And in such, it's really hard to believe that this game simply started out as a reason to familiarize gamers with the Super Nintendo mouse peripheral. Rob, did you know SNES had a mouse? I sure did, Dave. I actually know what we're going to be talking about now that you've mentioned the mouse. Well, if you didn't know what the mouse is, chances are that you've never thus come across our next topic, which is Mario Paint. So released in 1992, Mario Paint is, to some, as you can tell, a hidden gem that appeals to kids of all ages. So clean off those brushes, get ready to relax, go to your happy place and paint, because next week we're next week we're going to be talking Mario Paint on one on yet another trip down memory card lane. Do the thing. Do 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 wa da do ba da ba.